Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. ES Audio. Hello, this is the Evening Standard Theatre Podcast. I'm Nick Curtis, the Chief Theatre Critic. I'm Nancy Durrant, the Culture Editor. And I'm Nick Clark, the Deputy Culture Editor. Coming up on the show, we're going to review The Effect at the National Theatre. Starring Papa Esiedu and Taylor Russell, this play is by Lucy Preble and is directed by Jamie Lloyd. For our second review, it's The Wizard of Oz. With music by Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice, this musical stars Georgina Onwara as Dorothy, Jason Manford as the Cowardly Lion and Ashley Banjo as the Tin Man. And we'll be joined by Sean Escoffery and George Asprey, who play Mufasa and Skye in The Lion King. I think the funniest thing that's happened for me was when my youngest daughter, Connie, came to see the show for the first time. She was four years old. And Mufasa's climbing the rock, and Scar goes, Long live the king, and pushes him off. And there's, Ah, Scar. And he goes, And then there's silence while he's dead on the floor. And suddenly this little voice went, My daddy did that. <laughs> 2023 marks 15 years of them playing Scar and Mufasa in the West End. Welcome back to the Evening Standard Theatre Podcast. So, what's happened in theatre news this week? Rebecca Lucy Taylor, a.k.a. Self-Esteem, and Jake Shears, of Scissor Sisters fame, are going to be joining Cabaret as, oh, what's a blasted name? You know. Sally Bowles. Thank you. Sally Bowles and the MC. uh, And the MC. It's super exciting. It is. I mean, it's a really shrewd bit of casting, that, isn't it? They really are working extremely hard to refresh Cabaret and keep it. They keep knocking out the park. You keep wanting to go back and see the new (laughs) iterations of the cast, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I would be curious to see these two do it, I have to admit. Um, It does remind me of the days in the past when um, Chicago was on and they sort of updated the cast to that every six months. slightly less stunty. It's not like David Hasselhoff's going to turn up in this, is it? You never know. (laughs) Depends how long it runs, really. They'll get round to him eventually, I should think. (laughs) All of us will play the MC or Sally Bowles at some point in the future. Either that or we'll be in 222 A Ghost Story, one or the other. We all have to take our choice at some point, toss a coin. It's funny, people always a bit, like, people have been a bit snooty about the 222 uh, stunt casting, but never with the cabaret, funnily enough. And I just think it's it's all to the good. It brings in new audiences, it brings people in. I mean, this is going to be a Hot ticket it as is. soon as self-esteem gets in there. The absurdity about Sally Bowles, of course, is that she's supposed to be a dreadful singer. Yeah, she's supposed to be really, all really not yeah. very good. So having, you know, her and Liza Minnelli and Jesse Buckley you yeah, know, play incredible. her is just is just sort of sort of daft. But what are you gonna do with and a musical? She's one hell of a performer. I saw her live at the Apollo and it was incredible. Mm. And it's really theatrical as well. Like I've never seen her act. I don't know whether she's 
done much of it or any of it before. But I have no idea whether Jake Shears can act either. <laughs> Not a clue. And I think this lays down the uh, challenge to Broadway for their first production of oh, Cabaret, where yes. it goes over who is going to be oh, yeah. their casting. Who's it going to be? Oh, that's, it's got to be massive. It's gonna, names. That's what Come I was thinking. On. It has to be. Who would your bets be? On I don't for know. That one? Just Tom Cruise and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, somebody Meryl was Street, saying it should really <laughs> should really be Killian Murphy and uh, Margot Robbie. That would yeah, have been, that been great. <laughs> <laughs> Dressed ideally. As Barbie and Oppenheimer yeah, doing yeah, it, yeah. doing it watch, that way. I would watch the shit out of that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> fly over <laughs> to Broadway, watch right that up the wazoo. I definitely <laughs> would. Yes, yeah, definitely. I just wanted to quickly drop in on um, an update on last week's podcast when uh, we yes. couldn't oh. review La Cage Fall because rain stopped play. I then went back two days later, the day after we recorded the podcast. Um, I'm slightly surprised by the sort of raves that this got. It's just extended by two weeks on the back of those wow. of those rave reviews. I I think it's obviously hitting a sweet spot, striking a, 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 a sort of the right note at the moment. I think, you know, with its message of tolerance and being who you are, I think at a time of rising intolerance, it mm. feels like a timely revival. Mm. I still think, um, Nancy, you and I were there for the first 40 minutes on press night before mm-hmm. the downpour began. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, that we both sort of felt the singing and dancing is pretty good, but the acting is pretty is is really not up to scratch. No, and there just, just aren't so, yeah. enough. There isn't enough sort of sense of genuine relationships there going on. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I I liked the central relationship more than you did, I think. But some of the acting around it was, I mean, there was some that was like really bad. Yeah, like, yes, it's true, genuinely bad. And I don't know whether that got better or not. Uh, it didn't particularly. Like, I mean, maybe slightly better. I think just the sheer fact that it was a sunny night rather than they were performing yeah. in drizzle slightly <laughs> cranked up the energy a little bit. But uh, I mean, the good thing about if you get beyond 50 minutes is that if you're only there for 50 minutes, what you get is We Are What We Are, a slightly yeah. arch version of the great anthem, I Am What I Am, which yeah. gave Pride basically its signature tune, didn't it? If you stick beyond the 50-minute mark, you actually get I Am What I Am, of, am as the first act closer, and that is a real big moment. Yeah, it's a I stonker, have to admit. that. It's, it's a, a really, stonker. Yeah. I'm sad that I missed that. And the title number, La Cage Folle, is also a great, great Broadway number. So, I mean, I was I was a little bit lukewarm on it, but, um, you know, it's definitely, as I say, it's definitely hitting the right, the right spot at this yeah, moment in time. and it's time, a sunny, glittery... Yeah. Kind of fun camp night and the out, dance which routines is a joy. Are, are amazing. I mean, there's a reason why they had to cancel it because of the rain. Because these these sort of cantering drag queens on high heels really do knock it out of the park. Yeah, um, yeah. quite literally. This <laughs> being in a park, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very good. On the more sort of sober side of things, um, it's been a week where there's been a lot of talk about artistic leadership in theatre. We've talked a lot about um, artistic traders, the turnover in London, but also around the country. Mm. And, you know, there's been a, more departures. Will Gompertz um, has been announced as leaving the Barbican. And Shuba Das from uh, uh, the Liverpool Playhouse and Everyman. That um, was only after 18 months as yeah, well, which, yeah. is, which, and, which uh, asks some questions. There's been a lot of uh, talk out there on, on social media and the newspapers about leading theatres and about actually the burnout and stress of running a theatre mm-hmm. as well. Actually, one person I'd, li- I'd like to point to particularly who, who has really interesting thoughts on this is Tarek Iskander, mm-hmm. who runs Abati Arts Centre. Yeah. He did an extraordinary series of tweets about all the pressures facing all cultural institutions, I would mm-hmm. say, but particularly theatres as well, post-COVID and everything they face. And it's really worth going to check out, actually, because it lays out pretty starkly the horrendous pressures and how difficult it is. And it's sort of coming from all sides, really. Even though there's some brilliant stuff on all over the country. We feel like audiences are coming back, don't we? But actually, 
this is a bit of a crisis moment because the well is dry mm. because yes. everybody spent all their money over the pandemic and, yeah. you know, and they've spent the money that they were given in emergency and, mm. you know, and it's going to take time to make the money back mm. yeah. and sort of build up the funding again. And I just think it's, you know, with the cuts in funding and what seems like chaos at the Arts Council, mm. you inflation know, I feel like inflation, living, all of, cost, all of Absolutely, that. Absolutely, because you know, a lot of these middle ranking jobs and even the higher ranking ones are not really that well paid. Oh, no. Particularly in if the you're arts coming in this country. Them, yeah, if you you're coming into America, it's freelance career. bonkers. Yes, yeah, well, that's true. Europe. So, yeah, one to, one to keep an eye on, but I'd certainly recommend people go and search out. Oh, that thread. Yeah. Indeed. And support, support. Go yes. to your local theatre. <laughs> yes, go to your local theatre. <laughs> or go to, go to, you know, far afield theatre. Yes, go to, new, go go to, to a new, new theatre, you know, somewhere <laughs> else in town. On that note. Yeah, yes. exactly. <laughs> I, think we should, uh, I think it might be time for our first review, which is The Effect at the National Theatre. You asked to see the scans of the volunteers with the greatest effect. Are you interested in who they are? Of course. Right, two very different clinical histories, backgrounds, genders even, but they have one thing in common. They're both involved in an intense and protracted flirtation with each other. Right, this is Lucy Preble's 2012 play, which was originally staged at the Cottesloe Theatre, which is now the Dorfman, at the National, with Billy Piper in the female lead role. It was written sort of for and with her. She and Lucy Preble have this sort of symbiotic mm. creative relationship. Piper is more than amused to Preble, but uh, you know they they created Secret Diary of Call Girl together. They created yeah. I, Hate, I Susie Hate Susie together. Which was, yes. Oh, anxiety which was extraordinary. Wow. <laughs> I hate Susie too. I don't think it's giving anything away to say that uh, Lucy Preble, who is also now, of course, a, was a writer on Succession, has written this partly to address periods of depression in her own life mm. or pro- problems of poor mental health. This is a play about a couple who are taking part in a trial on a new antidepressant drug who fall in love. Is it them? Are they really in love? Is it the effect of the drug? You know, how much can we trust our own minds? Why do we trust medication uh, Mm. rather than the sort of chemical imbalances that seem to naturally or unnaturally occur um, in our own heads? This has been revived by the great Jamie Lloyd, who Mm. I'm a bit of a stand for. This time, the Billy Piper role is uh, played by Taylor Russell. To me, an unknown quantity. This is her stage debut. She's a Canadian actress, uh, was in the... TV reboot of Lost in Space and in uh, Bones and All. The yes, weird the cannibal. Cannibalism <laughs> romantic comedy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, with uh, Timothy Chalamet. Yes, yeah. indeed. Uh, and here her opposite number is Papa Asiedu. And it's been updated, hasn't it? Uh, Lucy Preble has updated his very specific bits. Mm, absolutely. She's sort of rewritten his yeah. character particularly to suit him. I didn't see it the first time no, around, but me. was that character... I don't know why I think this, but he was he was like from somewhere else specific. I can't remember. He was Irish or something like that. I think that's right. It was John Joe O'Neill who played yes, it. So I think yeah, he may so well have been Irish. Yes. Yeah. I can yeah, barely remember. But now he's very definitely a hackney lad, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. Uh, beyond that, it, it, they could be from out, out of space. I mean, it's sort of <laughs> set this dystopian sci-fi setting. For me, I found the mentions of hackney. I thought, wow, this feels like another world to <laughs> it's me. Not, it's nothing yeah. like matching tracksuits yeah. to make everything <laughs> sort of feel yeah. a bit scary. Is it's true. It's very it's very monochrome, isn't it? They are in matching grey tracksuits. Suits. Yeah. The um, the two doctors, Michelle Austin and uh, Cobner Holbrook-Smith, mm-hmm. are in sort of varying shades mm-hmm. of sort of um, charcoal and, yeah. uh, and gun metal. I love Michelle Austin as well. I mean, I Amazing. think she could Wonderful, actually yeah. sort of wither your ego at 50 paces yeah. just oh. with a well-turned <laughs> phrase. But with a smile yes. as well. It yeah. was wonderful. And I thought Cobner Holbrook-Smith was f- sort of fantastically oily. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, sort of like that exactly wonderful kind of like the, the, the ego of the charming, clever man. I stole um, 
stole I stole a really line from my friend Nick Toyus, which was uh, that he could he'd lick himself if he could. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it was like. Yeah, it was yeah. so good. And it was it leaving this trail of destruction in his wake, but he just doesn't realise yeah, it. He exactly. thinks everything's for the greater good, but yes. sort of personal and also with these farmer trials. He's yeah. just yeah. pushing on and leaving. But then when thing. he can't fix something, you know, you can see how lost he is. Yeah. yeah. That's really I found that I thought the, they were just all so oh, good. I agree. I found that the least convincing character, but I, I think he's a terrific actor, Kobner, and I think, yeah, he did a terrific job with it. So, uh, <laughs> And it's very, very starkly lit. It's this, it's it's staged in a traverse staging, so a big sort of landing strip down the centre yeah. of the two banks of seating, lit from beneath and lit very starkly. For I think that's a real masterstroke. I've never seen the Littleton like that. I, no, I, I, neither, I walked no. in and was immediately sort Throws of, you totally, yeah. doesn't and it? Then, it's so clever because this is about a scientific experiment, about an observation of two people, and then you realize it's observation of all four of them. But actually, it feels like you are watching an experiment. You, you're seeing the other observers on the other side, yeah. like glinting off their glasses. I think it could be sort of a sign. Yeah, science. The, the glasses are a really noticeable I really thing, aren't they? It. And it, is, it, it makes them sort of faceless and, and slightly mask like and adds to the, the sort yeah, of. Yeah, and I really found it just adds to that claustrophobia. The set is really claustrophobic, I found it. I know, really despite being completely open, yes, yes. which is fascinating. Yeah. I mean, as the play does, it really makes you think about your own body and sort of makes you claustrophobic within yourself. Mm. I think I found my skin crawling about certain bits when they're describing how the brain works and how you breathe and how it controls certain functions. And you think, wow, but also the claustrophobia of this enclosed space with the audience on either side and the doctor's viewing from either side as well. It's all yeah. about observation and, and, and yes. I thought it's so brilliant. I think Jamie Lloyd just, I mean, he's got it. <laughs> this yes. guy knows what he's doing. He? <laughs> yeah. I thought the writing was brilliant and very funny and very clever. Occasionally a bit uh, too theatrical, if you know what I mean. A bit too, you, know, you couldn't see it on film. It was very stagey, I found, the way people interacted. Yeah. But the way that Paparazzi do managed to bring that around and humanize it, his mannerisms, it was so real in a setting that is not really well that's it I think that that sort of stylized production coupled with what was extremely naturalistic acting for each actor every time someone handed something to someone they didn't move they said oh here it is and they would like they might look slightly to the left like Mm. where the thing was but they wouldn't pretend to hand anything yeah. to you. Here's so my phone. Yeah, no and no indication yes. in terms of the, the movement or, yeah. that that's what they were doing. So it was it was a very deliberate stylization contrasted with the way that they were acting. And I thought it was really effective in giving it this sort of strange not otherworldly, but just like, again, you're in an experiment. You don't really know what's real. Mm. Giving it that sort of aspect, I thought that worked. Yeah. I thought that worked really well. It left me sort of weirdly impressed rather than moved it, somehow. That's exactly what I was going to say. I found it very interesting, mm. but I wasn't moved. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm surprised I wasn't moved because, I, I like I say, I, th- I think the two actors here are fantastic. Mm. I mean, Papa Essiedu... He just seems to shift with every single thing I've seen him do. I haven't ever seen him do anything bad. No, exactly. I thought it had really interesting ideas in Mm, it. So, you know, what is love? Is it all about chemicals? Mm. That feels like a terribly nihilistic viewpoint, doesn't it? And Mm. one that I think people find it almost impossible to contemplate. How can we be? How can this thing that we feel, this extremely beautiful thing basically just be something to do with what's going on in a bag of chemicals, which is Mm. our body? But then, you know, you look at the other side, 
And this question is dealt with as well. What is depression? Is that all about chemicals? And that is a much more palatable idea. Yeah. These horrible yeah. feelings, they should be manageable and they're not related to who you are as a person. But we can't bear the idea that the beautiful feelings are like that. And you can't really have one without the other. So mm. it's a really thorny question. Dr. James, um, who's played by Michelle Austin, mm. she's a depressive who has refused treatment in the past and still refuses it. And but when she, when she says, oh, it's just me, like I don't need drugs, it's just me, this is me, uh, you know, when, about when she's in the thick of a depressive episode and, and often, you know, has been suicidal, it yeah. feels really transgressive, she has it's a, radical, she it's has dangerous. She has a great line, which yeah. is, I don't think we're ill, I think we're right. Yeah, yeah. I know, yeah. and you're like, oh, depression. God. Well, depression <laughs> is a perfectly rational response to, to the, the world. world. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And it's yeah. kind of hard to, it's hard to argue. To, to gain say that, the show started uh, quite late on press night, and I was yeah, thinking it must be someone quite famous coming in. Yeah, I mean, what you <laughs> mean, the... in addition to yeah. uh, Paul Mezcal, Phoebe Wallerbridge, Tom Hiddleston, Zoe Ashton. Yeah, yeah in addition to those. So she Gordon. is supposed to be dating Harry Styles. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes, exactly. I think we are legally be... obliged to mention that. Yeah, I think we are. I think we are journalists, and therefore yeah. it's, in our, it's in our contracts we have to mention these things. Um, I think they went public after this, supposedly, yeah. that this was the sort right. of big thing that she'd appeared at his concerts before possibly just as a fan but you know if yeah. he turns up to the opening of a sort of radical restaging of a 10 year old well play you know what brilliant let's hope that brings in and more brings the fans absolutely, in. Harry absolutely. Styles saves theatre welcome <laughs> to our world Harry Styles yes, exactly. <laughs> right let's go to a quick break coming up I'll be at the Lyceum Theatre with Sean Escoffrey and George Asprey for The Lion King Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, my name is Charlie Stemp and you are listening to the Evening Standard Theatre Podcast. Joining me today are George Asprey and Sean Escoffrey, who are starring in The Lion King at the Lyceum Theatre. George plays Scar and Sean is Mufasa and they have just celebrated an extraordinary 15 years in the role. Welcome to the pod. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much. So, 15 years in a show is pretty rare. It's an extraordinary thing when I found out about your story. I mean, tell me, what's it like to have one role and be in one show for that long? Uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's only when you look back, you go, oh my gosh, we've done 15 years, you know? <laughs> the whole journey has been absolutely quite wonderful, to be fair. And, you know, Did you join at the same time or was it sort of slightly staggered? On the same day. On the same day? On the same day. And I remember the first day I met him, I just thought, this guy's a complete nutcase <laughs> and I'm really going to get on with him. <laughs> it was a table read the first 
first time I met you. And um, so we had to kind of, you know, do our, our thing. We had to go through the whole script. And um, the ensemble stood up and started singing the opening scene. I mean, it blew us away. We both looked at each other like to think, oh my gosh, this is absolutely amazing. And then George kind of comes up to me, whispers, he goes, well, that's a miscast. <laughs> and I thought, right, we knew we were going to get on. <laughs> you know, so, you know, so in, in truth, it's been an absolutely wonderful experience. And, you know, you know, it, as, as all things, we, you know, have your ups and downs. Mm. But with The Lion King, it's been more ups and definitely downs you know do you know how many performances you've done um i, was, I think it's it's over five thousand yeah. <laughs> yeah that's just about right after five thousand performances are you still able to find new things in i mean when does the character sort of get set in stone oh there's you? do you know there's, there's honestly there's there's things that that you find constantly and if it doesn't work it doesn't work mm. obviously hopefully your your performance is of a standard that you're not you're not trying to sort of you know, change the script yeah, or yeah, anything yeah. like that. But you're just little, tiny, little, subtle, subtle things. And I came up with one thing the other night. It was in the final, the confrontation scene at the end, where I suddenly thought, how has it taken me 15 years <laughs> to realise that? I mean, what kind of an idiot am I that I haven't seen that in the last 15 years? And because you know the script so well and because you know the character so well, it actually gives you a freedom to invest at that every show a tiny, tiny bit more and to discover things mm. uh, new things all the time yeah and it's kind of great you guys being best friends but also in the show playing sworn en- well brothers but yeah. sort of sworn enemies as well yeah, I always right? say we're brothers on and off stage but slightly better off stage yeah. than we are on <laughs> you know? he doesn't kill me <laughs> no in fact yes. you're, you're, you're the one who kills me yeah when we train oh yeah that's so true yeah, yeah we do jiu-jitsu so yeah Okay. Yeah, we both train Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which we put mats down on stage in between shows on matinee days, and we roll okay. uh, on stage. So people are doing backstage tours, and they go, here's a gazelle, here's a giraffe, here's Scar Mufasa <laughs> fighting on the floor. Fighting, um, you know, so, uh, yeah, so, and also Sean's a lot better than I am at it, so he, he gets his revenge. And that's obviously the beauty of live theatre. It does change. It yeah. does. You can build on things and change things. I just wonder, are there moments that have gone wrong in these 5,000? Oh, so things that, things that stand out possibly? Or Yes. So, so there was one time. I mean, there's loads. But the, the, the funniest one for me was, um, not giving too much around the show, but, you know, it's in, um, Mufasa's was falling back and Scars mm. killed him. I didn't actually hit the floor. I kind of just hovered there. For quite a while, do you know what I mean? So I didn't know whether I was alive or dead, do you know what I mean? That's just one of millions of masks falling off during the confrontation. I've wondered about that. What happened? Yeah. Well, how do you style that out? Right, so actually, George styles it out okay. quite a number of times. So we go, Is that a challenge? And so obviously, our masks come out. Mm. And so my mask fell on the foot and rolled over there. And then George kind of looked up at me, we looked at each other, he goes, Right, we're going to do So he walks over, picks up the mask. Hands it back to uh, back to me. I put it underneath my arm. We carried on with the scene. <laughs> mask falling off is a is a is a problem. When my mask fell off in confrontation, I had to use it almost like a drama school mask exercise. Like you know, this is my mask. This yeah. is I am presenting you with my face. You know, it's, it's that sort of thing. I think the funniest thing that's happened for me was when my youngest daughter Connie came to see the show for the first time. She was four years old. And it's the same, the same scene actually, where Scar um, is on the and Mufasa is climbing the rock, and Scar goes, "Long live the king!" and pushes him off, and there's ah, Scar, and he goes, and then there's silence while he's dead on the floor, and suddenly this little voice went, "My daddy did that," <laughs> and the whole audience 
Just absolutely. Oh dear, it was um. Oh. One question I haven't asked: You had kids in the same week. Yes, that was that was insane. I mean. Um, obviously, what during the show you both had paternity leave, yes, right? At the same time. Well, it, it didn't actually quite work out like that. So, oh, it, it was just it was just like one of those bizarre, bizarre <laughs> things. I said to you, yeah. it was after a, a drinks thing yeah. where um, I noticed that your wife wasn't drinking. Yes, and I said, "Is she?" And you went, "Yeah," and I went. So it was Kirsten. <laughs> <laughs> then we had to go in to the company manager. And actually, Sean said, Michelle, I've got something to tell you. And she was like, what's that? And um, well, my wife's pregnant. So she's due um, at the beginning of December. She went, OK, George, why are you here? And I said, well, my wife's pregnant and she's due at the beginning of December. And the look on her face was, um, as it turned out... Um, Farah, Sean's daughter, decided to be very competitive and was born two months early. Yeah. So uh, we ended up not being uh, yeah. not being off at the same time at oh, all. So you were due. Uh, the babies were due at the same, the same time. time. So in the end, it yeah. Wasn't. So our plan didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> um, we've got your your masks in front of us here. They're such extraordinary things. I mean, the costumes. Tell me about wearing these costumes and this extraordinary design. Oh, I tell you. I mean, you know, every night, you know, I, I, I kind of look in the mirror just before I'm going to go downstairs. And just see, you know, the beauty and the, and the detail in these masks and the costume itself is just absolutely amazing. Yeah. The other thing is, is that it's so delicate. The amount of times I may have dropped it <clears throat> or damaged it because it's quite high. And sometimes mm. I have to, you have to bend down to kind of get through the door. So I hear a little crack on the top. There. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> you know, but it, it, it transforms you. Because, I mean, mm. when I first started, it took a little while to get used to. Mm. And then after a while, you start to kind of morph into the character and realize just how kind of important it is to the piece. And so if, to perform without it, I feel completely naked. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, you've seen the show. Mm. When the, my mask comes down, so it's, it's almost like what Julie Taymor, who directed the show, yes. calls the dual event, where you have the mask on top and you're the human form, and then you have the mask down and you're the animal form. And because the aspect of my mask can move as well as coming up and down. I can use it. So if I'm talking to you, when I go back, I can, do you know what I mean? I can change the aspect. Mm. Of the, so it makes it much more expressive. Yeah. So it's another tool. And they, again, I'm finding new things, new little things with the mask that I, I'm able to use. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that's another way of exploring the character. But the whole show yeah. is such a fusion of cultural styles, artistic styles from around the world. I mean, if you think you've got the South African music, you've got the Javanese uh, dance movement, you've got Chinese shadow puppetry. Mm. I think that's why The Lion King has been so successful over the years. And when you're on stage, are there moments, each performance, you're like, yes, I'm really looking forward to this bit. Or are there moments where you're like, oh, get this bit over with. The arc, sometimes, you know, because where I start, I start underneath the stage. And I hear um, whoever's doing Rafiki, Tenjure, normally. And she'll sing that first note, no. And I'm like, whoa. And the whole thing begins. You know, so there's a, there's a couple of spots in the show that does that for me. Mm -hmm. It's that beginning bit. And also when I turn around and I see George standing at the side and I give him a little nod. He gives me a little nod. I say, yeah, we're ready for this. Let's do this. That's what does it. And I'm like, ah, oh, right, let's do this now, you know? I mean, it's, it's the same for me. <laughs> yeah. Every night, I'm not in Circle of Life, but I stand at the side of the stage. 
and I watch it, the whole thing unfold before me. And no matter how tired you are, when you hear that, nah, mm. on you, you just, you just, you just feel the hackles go up on the back yeah. of your neck, and you just like, you're just invigorated. And then, as Sean says, he comes around on the rock, and we just give each other a nod, and it's like, all right, we got this. Let's yeah. do this. I mean, it's it's an amazing thing, and obviously the the songs are very well known. Mm. The film is very well known, and most of the audience will probably already know it. Mm. Now we know in the West End, lots of people have been singing songs. There's been a big, you know, divide <laughs> over audiences singing or not. Do you get that? Is that something that bothers you, or you welcome um, it? No, no, they don't actually sing, but we do get from the audience on occasion they'll they'll clap. It's slightly out of time at times. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what though? But the thing is, they're enjoying it, and they've mm. invested, you know, and you like, and they're like, they're with us. You know, so I don't mind that. Do you know what I mean? They were clapping and they're enjoying themselves. They, from the beginning, they're invested in the whole thing. And I'm like, yes, this, you know, so it's mm. something I actually love to hear. So you don't have that issue of people no. like, I think it was in the bodyguard where people sing along to the, I will always love yeah, you. Yeah, no, we don't, we, don't, we don't get that. <laughs> but we do get the claps. I think it's slightly different um, singing Hakuna Matata than, <laughs> than I will always love yeah, you. Yeah. I think there's certainly a different vocal ability sure. needed. Sure. Uh, also, we're here for them, not the other way around. Mm. And I think it's important as actors that we remember that. Mm. Um, and, I mean, I suppose the question is, you've done 15 years. Mm. How, how many more? 15 more? What it's are you? As long, you know, as long as possible. I can speak on behalf of George as well, but he's here. <laughs> but, you know, but we love it. I love working with him. I love working with the company. I love the, you know, the whole organisation. Eventually, there'll come a time, you know, when Scar comes out in his Zimmer frame. <laughs> yeah. You'll think... I'll be in my wheelchair. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the confrontation between Scar and Mufasa takes half an hour to get there. Um, that you know that obviously there will there will come an, a natural time, but hopefully not just yet. I I love it. I love it, and I think and maybe when I finally think I've got it right, it's time to finish. But it's, I don't think I've got it right. 100% yeah. Well, brilliant. Sean George, thank you so much for, for taking the time and congratulations on 15 years and for many more in the future yeah, as well. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Coming up right after this short break, we're off to see the Wizard of Oz at the <laughs> Palladium. See you in a minute. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. I'm Millie Alcock, and you're listening to the Evening Standard Theatre Podcast. Welcome back. Our second review this week is The Wizard of Oz at the Palladium. Nancy, you've seen this, uh, so was The Wizard wonderful or not? Look, (laughs) (laughs) this was not made for me. Right. Uh, But, you know, you're not going to be surprised. It's The Wizard of Oz just because. And I think, you know, just because presumably it's going to make an enormous amount of money. Uh, It was completely packed. It was a Friday night. Loads of kids scoffing sweets, loads of parents and like grown up ladies on a night out guzzling Prosecco. It was great. Everyone was having a really good time. I wasn't, (laughs) Um, but like, you know, there was a standing ovation at the end. Everyone was in blah, 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 blah. Okay, fine. 
the point is, it wasn't made for me. It absolutely could have been to absolutely no detriment of the production whatsoever. And it would have made it better. So much money has been thrown at this. It is unbelievable. But nobody seems to realise that you don't need to be able to see all the money. I don't know what you think, Nick. Uh, Mm. You saw it and you reviewed it. But I think the direction is really lazy. Yeah, it's uh, it's directed by Nikolai Foster, who is the sort of coming man in the musical scene. Uh, And this came in from... The Curve, I think. Yeah, Curve in Leicester. Leicester. Where he's the um, artistic director. Where he, yeah. All right, yes. Well, there we go. So it's sort of based on the on L. Frank Baum's original book. It sort of references the famous 1939 film. It's very hard to talk about authenticity with The Wizard of Oz because there were 13 yeah, books. Loads of different versions. <laughs> Three yeah, film right. versions before they even filmed one with sound, I believe. And then the 1939 one, everybody knows. And also, I mean, let's face it, The Wizard of Oz makes no sense anyway. Um, <laughs> the, the best yeah, there times. isn't actually a story, I realise. Well, not very much. Not well, not very much of one. Of I mean, hardly hardly any of one. This is updated slightly with some new songs by Andrew Lloyd Webber in 2011. The Palladium is his theatre. I think this is very much his show. I, I I agree. I mean, I think this sort of feels like a show created by robots somehow. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just it's ridiculous. Like all the money has been spent on toys. Just I mean like overstimulating unnecessary toys. Well, it's been spent on toys. It's also been spent on on the cast, and you feel this has been cast by the same algorithm that cast the Pantos at the. At the the uh, Palladium, where you sort of go, oh, Jason Manford would bring in a certain crowd yeah. if you cast him as the lion, uh, the cowardly lion, and Ashley Banjo will bring in another sector of the population if you have him as the Tin Man. Georgina Onura, who I think is very good as um, Dorothy, mm-hmm. you know, again, she sort of brings a new spin and perhaps a new demographic into uh, to the show. But I mean, it's 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 a very sort of slick, hollow a, piece of entertainment. Like they're all in different shows. They're all doing their absolute best. Yeah, like they really are, and the the voice. Voices are fantastic. They've got some knockout voices in there. I especially with it. I like quite like Louis. I think it must be Louis. I'm not sure. Louis Gaunt, who's playing the Scarecrow, acting with every fibre of his being at every yes. single moment of the show. You know, given a sort of diligent and imaginative director, he could probably do it brilliantly, and it would probably really knit together nicely as like relationships between characters. But he's throwing out this massive performance night after night with absolutely no chance of standing out because of this onslaught of visual noise. Yes. The Yellow Brick Road is a kind of bunch of weird constructions that they have to like clamber all over. It doesn't work at all. It's just an obstacle on the stage. There's this big sign of like Wicked Witch Industries which is just a weird lazy shorthand. Which makes no no sense whatsoever. It's like just stick a castle on there. That's all we need to know. No time has been spent making that universe make sense. I mean, I realise it's not that easy to make it make sense, but it is easy to cut out the crap that makes no damn sense. Yeah, and they have they have added to the crap that makes no damn sense. It's, it's, it's true. There's a mixture of physical props and projections, aren't there? And um, yeah. Oh, the uh, there's a yeah, they're really it's really sort of quite inconsistent. At times things look quite steampunk. The Kansas scenes look quite macabre, sort of American yeah. Gothic, don't they, originally? But then you're transported to Wars, which initially looks like Metropolis. Yeah. And then it suddenly turned into this awful sort of consumer nightmare where everything is called an Ozbucks or an Ozdonald's. I know, it's just, or, but that's uh, the thing. If you're gonna use video projections, use them in a clever way and in a beautiful way, yeah. instead of just using them as a showcase for your like cleverly fun ideas. Yeah. You know, the scenes yeah. in Oz, they're just this distracting Easter egg hunt for growth. Ups, yep. you know, with like the fun little Oz themed riffs or yeah, brand names yeah, that you yeah. mentioned and references and to Judy Garland. It's the Good Witch like... seems to have come out of the Barbie movie for some oh, reason. And on also, her scooter, I'm sorry, poor Glinda, on this pink scooter, yeah. like the way she's sitting on it, sort of side saddle, she doesn't look like a cool witch with a 
mod moped. She looks like an old witch with a mobility scooter. It's really weird. She sort of comes on at the end, like riding this little scooter. And then she's like, oh, you've always had the power to go. And then just sort of zooms off like grandma. It's mm. really weird. Yeah, I mean, I think I said in my review of this that it's quite, it's it's sort of exhausting. It's I thought it was a very, it's a very professional piece of entertainment, you know, but um, that I'm aware is is very faint praise. Like you say, I think, yeah. the, uh, I think the, the, the voices are good, the singing is good, the new songs aren't really a patch on uh, no. the originals, but there are only really like four songs in the original. Uh, yeah, that's true. So it's not much, <laughs> not much they a musical. They are the moments that you really enjoy because yeah. you go, oh, she's doing Somewhere Over the Rainbow, brilliant. And there's yeah. a sort of a weird thing I noticed because when she started singing Somewhere Over the Rainbow the first time, I didn't really recognize the beginning. Hmm. And so I was like, oh, I don't know what this is, a bit boring. And then she sort of cranked up into Somewhere Over the Rainbow. And there's some sort of weird Proustian response where I was a bit like, oh, like, oh, it's Somewhere Over the Rainbow. And I felt really like weirdly moved for no reason. And yeah. I was absolutely but baffled by it. it in a really way, funny. isn't that the Wizard of Oz itself? What is yeah. it that keeps bringing all these audiences in and packing yeah. it out? It's, it's that line. It's yeah. that single yeah. damn line. I saw this uh, um, in July when Pride was on. Uh, right. And I think that, you know, gave it a, a bit of an extra boost, really. That is very rainbow-themed, yeah. the design of this. There's a, a real acknowledgement of what this story has come to mean to gay men over the yeah. years. Yeah, okay, um, that's fair. Yeah, in the, in the sense of if there is a message to The Wizard of Oz, it's sort of about self-realisation and being yourself and realising your place in your own backyard isn't it really? Mm. Um, being yeah. empowered by all of that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, exactly. But I just sort of feel like all of that sort of gets lost in this just kind of carnage, this <laughs> visual carnage that you're stuck with. I just want to say though, Jason Manford, total surprise, really good voice. Yeah, really. Good he has voice. got a good voice. Like, he's weirdly doing a version of of John Lahr in well, the I, as the I lion. Know. I was like, he's a well known comedian from Salford. Why is the lion from New York? <laughs> it's really and, and also totally weird and pointless. Give him Jason Manford's accent, and then for that matter, why are the inhabitants of Oz American? She's yes. just come from Kansas to a magical country. Why they are could the, sound like anything? Why are the flying monkeys Hell's Angels I, in no, this iteration? Yeah, they really also don't. had the face of one of. The like one of the characters from Gorillas, like, did yes. you know? Yes, like, yes, oh, I yes. Think, yes. I think, I think that are you sure? Is that yeah. a copyright thing? Yep. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, I'd just like to make a quick uh, word for Gary Wilmot, who I just oh, think, <laughs> who, who inevitably Wilmot. appears, legend. Yeah, <laughs> appears legend. but I just love Gary Wilmot. This is just, yeah. I mean, a sort of guarantee that he's going to turn up, he's going to do exactly what's required, he's going to go home, put his feet up, and you know, oh, bank, he's got a lovely money, gap between the time the moment he comes in in the first act and then yeah. the moment he comes in the second. That can be that can be a danger for actors. There was a, in the book Iron Actor by Nigel Planer, in his persona as Nicholas Craig, this very sort of vainglorious actor, he refers to a condition called Laertes Elbow, <laughs> which is to do with being off stage for two and a half hours in the middle of the play and tends to mean you sort of dodder around a bit when you finally go back on and slay your words somewhat. One for the school holiday? Yeah. <laughs> we could say well, yeah, I mean, take the kids, yeah. by all means. Yeah. Take the kids because they will probably absolutely love it, especially mm. if they've seen the movie before. The music makes the scary bits feel a little bit scary but actually the flying monkeys are nothing like as scary as they oh, are I in remember. the movie because yeah, yeah, they yeah. really yeah. are bloody scary yeah, yeah. Um, and you know it will pass uh, an evening it's not too long the second half is very short Yes, it's about 35 minutes or something yeah. it's really sort of you know so when you do go in there and you're like how long until I can have a martini it's not very long <laughs> yeah true 
And that's it for this week's Evening Standard Theatre podcast. Well, nearly. I just want to flag that we've had our first five-star theatre review from Edinburgh. Tim Banno's been up there for us, and he was blown away by a show at Summerhall called Wood Hill. It's really hard-hitting. Nick, I think you know the company behind it, don't you? Yes, Lung Theatre are a brilliant, brilliant theatre company. They're they're described as a campaign-led theatre company, and they do verbatim theatre. They have done since 2016, when they did a piece about the Bradford City uh, Football Club Fire. Mm. And they've done a number of shows uh, since then, really pushing the verbatim form um, and Tim talks about in his review actually of, of Woodhill that this pushes the verbatim form even further mm. but one that re- I really remember is Who Cares which was a piece done with young carers often mm. hidden a lot of people didn't know about them you know even schools or whatever and they worked with young carers who were looking after parents or, or uh, you know whoever dependents whoever it may be and told this extraordinary story and then not only took it around theatres around the country but also schools and they ended up performing at the House of Lords and they started a campaign to sort of find all the hidden young carers out there. And it was an extraordinary piece of work, and they're an extraordinary company. So I'm delighted that this show has has got our first five-star review. So I really hope it comes to London. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, you can find that review and all our latest reviews at standard.co.uk. That's also linked below. Thanks, as always, to our producer, Rachel Abbott. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss it. We'll see you next week. 